Amen. Luke chapter number 15. Uh, uh, I want to really today, uh, just no, not trying to pull no wool over your eyes. I, I really want to uh, encourage you, inspire you, and motivate you to invite somebody to be with you this Sunday. Uh, it is, invi- it, it is uh, sit with me Sunday. Uh, we see the results of what could happen uh, with a simple invite. And so I want to take, I want to take this chapter, uh, really trying to figure out which one I wanted to go to, but this is where God led. And, uh, and I see in the end, uh, how important this is, but, but we're going to look at some, uh, parables that, uh, are very familiar to us and, and just see how important it is to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And if we are like Jesus, we'll have no problems getting people to Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look. Luke chapter number 15 in verse number one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Let's all read this together. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep it in the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I had lost. Read it with me, verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them, that means both sons, his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself... He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. I like this. When he was yet a great way off, great way off. His father saw him. Now, if he's a great way off and his father saw him, that means his father was looking for him. Amen. Had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Dear heavenly father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Lord, I thank you for your word that encourages us, inspires us, motivates us. Lord, I pray that you'll use your word tonight to touch every person in this room. Lord, I know what you gave me and I know what you spoke to me about. And I pray that you'll use me to deliver your word to them. 
I desperately need your, your anointing. I need your guidance. I need your strength. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me, control me. Lord, I pray that I don't say anything I'm not supposed to. I pray that I don't forget anything I need to say. And Lord, I'll give you the the credit, the glory, the honor, the praise for everything done. We're not worthy. We don't deserve a thing. We know that you do and you are and you're precious in our sight. And God, I praise you and I thank you. Lord, I pray that you'll get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say it. You may be seated. Before we jump into the outline, I'd love to, to share with you just some, some numbers to help encourage you uh, to get out and share and get out and invite and get out and compel. The words that we find in, in God's word, compel them to come in that my house might be, I believe God wants his house full. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Amen. The condition of the church in America, 1,400 pastors in America leave the ministry every single month. Only 15% of churches in the United States are growing, and just less than 5% of those are growing by conversion growth. 20,000 churches in America disappeared in a five-year period. And keep in mind, these numbers are pre-COVID. So you can only imagine what happened after COVID. The number of people in America that do not attend church has doubled in the past 15 years. No more than 38% of the population attends church at all, and that's in the Bible Belt. There are almost 100 million unchurched Americans. 11 to 20% of them claim to be born again. They have neither either left the church or never connected for some reason. Only 23% of church attendees say they attend a small group for growth or accountability. Only 65% of Americans donate to a place of worship. Evangelicals, however, have 85% donate to their church, yet only 9% give a tithe. One out of every four church attendees are considered church hoppers. On average, church uh, just 7% of new church attendees are formerly unchurched. Leading church analysts Lyle Shaler, George Barton, Mike Regal stressed the alarming truth that over 80% of America's Protestant churches are in plateau or decline. The United States, now think about this. The United States now ranks third following China and India in the number of people who are not professing Christians. Only 12%, only 12% of people under 18 are coming to church in America. Think about that. Only 12% of people under 18 are coming to church in America. Even worse, only 10% of that 12% will continue to go to church when they are adults. Here's the, this, these are all staggering statistics. In a nation that was founded on God's word and the truth of uh, who God is and, the, and, and godly principles, Judeo-Christian principles, uh, we are living in a dying society. The church in America is dying. Uh, We know this. We know this, that there is a secret to church growth, though. There is a secret. There is a formula. There is a uh, special thing that we need to understand that the secret to church growth, I preach this all over the nation. The secret to church growth is invite. Say that with me. The secret to church growth is this. Listen, you say, where do you get that from? Watch this. Why did you join the church? This is a national survey was done. Why did you join the church? Why are you actively participating in a church? Six to eight percent walked in in on their own initiative. I just decided to come. I just showed up because I wanted to go. Six to eight percent. Two to three percent liked the program. They joined because they liked the program. This is humbling. Eight to ten percent liked the pastor. Wow. Three to 4% had a need. They had a need and the church met that need. One to 2% were evangelized. Three to 4% were attracted by Sunday school. 70 to 80% said they were invited by family or friend. 70, 80%. 
83% of persons active in church come by a friend or relative. Average church members, think about this, average church members can identify seven unchurched friends. Now, if you don't believe that, get your phone out, look at your contacts, and I guarantee you, you can find seven people who don't go to church on that, on that phone. Say amen. amen. Now, watch this. 82% of those non-active would come if they were invited by a friend. Think about this. What is the secret to church growth? Come on now. What's the secret to church growth? If the church is not growing, that means the people are not. And all God's people say it. Amen. Now, uh, here is something. Here's a chapter that we're going to notice about Christ. And I was looking at this and, and, and really going over this and seeing the emphasis here. A lot of times we put the emphasis when we invite or when we try to witness or we try to share our faith with somebody, we emphasize the church. Hey, do you get to go to church anywhere? Will you come to church with me? Or whatever it might be, the emphasis is on the church. And we are finding that there is a major struggle because there's tons of people, especially in the Bible Belt, that are, that are classified as de-churched. In other words, they went to church before, they no longer go to church. It's one of them kind, I've been there, bought the t-shirt, done that, been there. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And you'll get a negative response from people. Well, I went to church and it didn't work for me. Or I went to church and, and they were hypocrites. Or I went to church and they didn't treat me right. Or I went to church and they hurt my feelings. And, and the emphasis is on church. But the problem with church is it's made up of people. And people are sinners. And people are not perfect. And people will let you down. They can't help it. They're just people. We're broken individuals. We don't mean it and we don't try, but sometimes we will let each other down. But guess what? It's not about people. It's not about this building. It's not about the gathering. It's about who we come and worship. And we, we, we've got to start pointing people not to a building, not to a congregation, but to a Christ who died for them. And the focus has to get back on Christ. The focus. In other words, instead of trying to get them to church, let's try to get them to Christ. Let's try to get them to Christ. Now, now, with that being said, let's look at Jesus. He's a, he's a perfect example. He's a perfect example. How many y'all, how many y'all see? Look at this. Then drew, what's that word? Verse one, verse one, Luke 15, Luke 15, verse one. Then drew near. All right. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. I want to I want to go through the notes and, 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 and we'll go as quickly as we can tonight. But first of all, I want you to see what's the title. What's the title? A sinner Say it again. A How many of you are glad about that? If you knew or you know the kind of sinner you are, you'll be shouting the victory right there. Amen. I'm glad that I was the accusation that the Pharisees gave to him, but I'm glad that was true. He was a sinner receiving savior. Now, a few things I want to show with you today. Number one, let's look at his audience. Let's look at his audience. The Bible says, then drew near unto him, all the publicans and sinners. Now here's his audience is made up of two groups of people. First of all, the publicans, write that down. The publicans. Now what was a publican? The publican was a Jewish tax collector who worked for Rome. A Jewish tax collector who worked for Rome. In other words, they were basically traitors to their own people. They were employed by Rome to collect taxes from their own people. Now, the problem was in the majority of the instances that we find in the Bible that they collected taxes, but they extorted money from people. In other words, it would, they would, they would re require way more than Rome did because Rome gave them the ability, whatever you could get over top of the tax, they were able to keep and they were extorting money. They were thieves, if you will. Not a whole lot's changed in time. Say amen. amen. Yeah. Taking way more than what was right to take. And because of that, because of that, 
They were hated by the Jews. They were at the lowest part of the totem pole. They were in, in the Jewish people's eyes, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees, in their eyes, they were the wickedest of them all. And here they are hanging out with Jesus. Publicans. Then we have sinners. Then we have sinners. What were the, who were the sinners? Well, basically the sinners were people that were irreligious. They, they, didn't, they didn't have time for the synagogues. They didn't, uh, uh, they didn't care about the temple. They didn't care about the Orthodox Jewish religion. They didn't care about the Torah, the Mishnah. They didn't care about the traditions of the elders. Uh, they were just irreligious. They had no religion whatsoever. The scribes and the Pharisees considered them beneath them and refused to associate with them. Now, let me read something from John Knox. John Knox wrote this about how, and this will kind of give you an idea about how they felt about this group of people. The Pharisees gave to people who did not keep the, and by, let me say who the Pharisees are. If you don't understand who the Pharisees are, uh, this was a group of people that really came into being after the captivity. Uh, they were there. It was a zealous group of people who were zealous of the law and they put together traditions. In other words, it's not enough. It's not enough for you to have the law. We need to make some laws to help you follow the law. Are y'all with me? You have the Torah, which is the, 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 the word that God gave and the, the truth and the, the scriptures that God gave. And then you have the Mishnah, which was what was the help you follow the law. For example, for example, here's a, a clear example. God said in the law on the Sabbath day, you are to rest. But then there was tons and tons and tons of rules that you had to follow so that to make sure that you rested. Yeah. For instance, the Sabbath day's journey. On the Sabbath day, you were only allowed, you had to count your steps on the Sabbath day to make sure you didn't take too many steps would constitute working and not resting on the Sabbath day. And listen, and it, th- this book and these rules became so extravagant and so massive. It became a heavy burden on the backs of people. And, and Jesus, that's why Jesus said, you remember the verse that said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy. Now that heavy laden wasn't from the job they had. It was from all the rules they were trying to follow from the Pharisees. The Pharisees considered themselves the elite, the most religious, the most holy, the most righteous. But this is how the Pharisees looked at the sinners. The Pharisees gave to people who did not keep the law a general classification. They called them the people of the land, the people of the land. And there was a complete barrier between the Pharisees and the people of the land. The Pharisaic regulations laid it down. When a, when a man is one of the people of the land, don't entrust any money to him. Take no testimony from him. Trust him with no secret. Do not appoint him guardian of an orphan. Do not make him the custodian of charitable funds. Do not accompany him on a journey. A Pharisee was forbidden to be the guest of any such man or to have him as a guest. He was even forbidden so far as it was possible to have any business dealings with him. It was the deliberate Pharisaic aim to avoid, watch this now, it was their aim to avoid every contact with the people who did not observe the petty details of the law. The strict Jews said, they didn't say this, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. No, their motto was there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated by God. That's how they felt about sinners. That's how they felt about this group of people who are now being attracted to Jesus and coming around Jesus, these publicans, these tax collectors, these these traitors to the Jewish people and these people who would not follow the law or who would not go to the synagogue, these irreligious riffraff, the group of people, they couldn't stand them. They hated them. They thought they were above them. They were this, this group of people's beneath my dignity. We will do everything we can to avoid any contact with them. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind 
that the Pharisees were supposed to be the holiest people. The Pharisees were supposed to be the people who knew God the best. The Pharisees were the people who were supposed to be closest to God's own heart. These were the people who were supposed to know the scriptures the the best. Yet, yet, the man who is supposed to be the Messiah is hanging out with people they despise. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. See, here's the problem. They didn't understand that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew 9, 10, we have another instance. Same kind of situation is taking place. Matthew 9, 10, it says, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. At whose house? Matthew. This was right after the calling of Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. He comes to the booth where he's taking uh, taxes and he says, Hey, come and follow me. Matthew drops everything and comes and follows him. And Matthew puts on a feast. Jesus goes to his house and sits and eats with them. And other, other tax collectors are coming. Other sinners are coming. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Read it with me. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, everybody read it. They that be whole need not a, but they that are, they that are sick. So we see his audience. We see his audience. This is a rough group of people. These would be the outcasts of Israel. These would be the ones that were considered wicked. These were the ones that were considered heinous. These were the ones that nobody wanted to be around. Nobody uh, uh, wanted to to, uh, involve themselves with. They were considered the lowest of the low. Then we see number two. Then we see number two. We not only see his audience, but number two, we see his what? Attraction. His attraction. Now, now, I want you to, for just a moment, for just a moment, before we go any further, I want everybody to use your imagination right now. I want everybody to use your imagination right now. I want you, because we don't have publicans, kind of. We kind of do, but they really don't affect the church in a way. Uh, we know what sinners are, but I want you in your mind right now, I want you to try to, now think from a religious viewpoint, from a religious viewpoint, who or what sinners today in America would be considered hated by Christians or despised? Don't, don't say nothing out loud, just in your own mind. I want you to just you, 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 you. say amen. But, but who would Christians consider to be the most wicked? What group of outcasts in our country would you see the most disdain found in a Christian's behavior? When that person is brought up or that person uh, is talked about, the kind of repulsiveness that Christians, religious people, when I say Christians, I'm talking about religious people. What, what could we put there? Just think about it. Just think about it. You know, there, there, there are so many groups of people that we want to stand against. And, and I'm, afraid, I'm afraid that there's, there's way too many people who will gladly tell you who they're against and what they are for. So, so whatever, whatever group of people you think would fit in that column, you just, you just put them on your paper. or Because or, we gotta, we got to look at truth. In how it applies to us today. If that makes sense, amen. Because there are people today that are hated. There are people today that are despised. There are people today that are repulsive when it comes to uh, some people's idea of sinners. Of sinners. Now, with that being said, let's keep on going. We see the audience, then we see his attraction. Look what it says. Look what it says in, in, in verse number one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Drew near. That means he was attracting them. He was drawing them to himself. He was very attractive. Now, now we know it's not, we know it's not looks, guys. All right. But it does say in John 12, 32, and I, this is Jesus speaking, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, say it with me, will. I'll draw all men unto me. Now, 
Now, to clarify what's happening here, Isaiah 53, 2 says this. For, and this is speaking of the Messiah, speaking about Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, when we shall see him, there is no what? Beauty that we should desire him. What does that mean? That means that Jesus was not an attractive person physically. He was a common man. There was nothing beautiful about him. We see pictures and we see artists. They will paint portraits and they will draw an artist's rendition of Jesus and they will make him seem handsome and all of these things. But according to scripture, he was not physically appealing. He was not physically attractive. The Bible says he came and made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he was just a common everyday guy. If he was to be in this church right now, you would not be able to pick him out by his looks. But there was something about him. There was something about him. That was very attractive. That caused people to come from near and far. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, oh, it was, it was, it was all those miracles. Listen, if I could do miracles, I would attract people like that too. But let's see what, let's see what we find here. Let's see what we find here. Look what it says. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to see him. What does it say? Hear him. What was it? What was it that was attractive about Jesus? It was his word. Write that down. We see his word was attractive. They came to hear him. They came to hear him. They came to hear the truth that he spoke. They came to hear the wisdom that he gave. They came to hear a word of encouragement, a word of love. They came, listen, can you imagine, can you imagine the the, the hearts and the minds of these people who had been beaten down year after year after year with heavy burdens of rules and regulations that they could not even stand under. And they hear this, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can you imagine what they heard? Can you imagine the woman who was cast down at his feet And all she heard was, woman, where are thine accusers? I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine? Listen, his word. His word. Preacher, now what what are you getting at right here? Because we're talking about Jesus as our ultimate example, right? And we are to go into this world. We're, We're to go to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, I think we can do a better job of seeking and saving that which was lost if we would get familiar with his word. Because his word is attractive. His word has power. His word is like a sharp two-edged sword. His gospel, listen, his gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, we need to learn his word. We need to live his word. We need to practice his word. We need to share his word. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. They came to hear him. His word was attractive. His word drew them in. His word will draw people today. It will draw people today. But you know what? That's not all. That's not all I see here. That's not all I see here that made him attractive. What made sinners want to be with him? What what made the outcasts draw to him like, like flies to honey? What was it about him? Because I'll be honest with you, I want to be that. I want to be attractive. Not the physical attraction, not the physical appearance, but I want to be the type of person that people want to come to, that people will be drawn to, and every Christian should have that desire because the Bible says he is our example. We are to be like him. But watch what it says. Watch what it says. This This is so important. My soul, we need to get this. We need to get this so bad. We see not only was his word attractive, why did they come? They come to hear him. Say it with me. They come to hear him. Now watch what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, 
This man, what's that word? Come on, everybody. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. His word was attractive, but also his way, his way was attractive. How he did what he did. Matt, can you grab me one of them tissues over there, buddy? His way was attractive. He had a way of treating people. He had a way of behaving. Thank you, sir. Uh of, of, Of being around people. I looked up that word receiveth. I looked up that word receiveth. It's translated different ways in your Bible. But that word literally means this. Now, now who is he receiving? Sinners. Outcasts. People of the land. Despised people. Y'all with me? Come on now. Now, now put in your mind, put in your mind the most heinous sinners you can think of on this planet who religious people think are the worst. Them type people, this is what Jesus did. The first, the first word that's used to describe receiveth is what? To accept. To accept. Now, now I looked up the word accept just so I didn't have this wrong. It means to endure without protest or reaction. To endure without protest or reaction. Who is he enduring? Sinners. Hello. He's enduring. In other words, they may, they may not be talking real holy. Did he like it? No. But he endured it. They might not have behaved just right. Might not have acted just right. But he endured without protest or reaction. Not only does this word receive means to accept, but it means to allow. It means to allow. It's under the same. Look up. If you don't believe me, look up your concordance and your, your Strong's concordance. Look that word up and you'll see these definitions. To accept, to allow. The word allow, I looked that up in Webster's Dictionary, means to neglect, to prevent or restrain. In other words, let's just use this as an illustration. Say you're in, say you're in a crowd of people. Say you're in a crowd of people and they're not at your house. You're at their house. Now, it's different at my house. Okay? Now, unless, unless I invite somebody for the sole purpose of reaching them, I'm going to practice more of this. But especially if I'm where they are, I, say, they have, say they're, they're, they're talking a little ugly. I don't say, hey, watch your mouth. I know that's really foreign to a lot of people. I know that's really foreign to a lot of people because we think, well, bless God, we're going to straighten it. No, you know what he did? He let sinners be sinners. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't just, wait a minute now, wait a minute. He didn't do it just to hang out with them. He didn't do it just so he could enjoy their company. Are y'all with me? Look at that last one. Look at that last word that's used. What was the first word? Everybody say it. It means to... What is the definition of accept? Now, the second word is what? Now, what is that word? He didn't even, he didn't even, he just let him be them. He let him be them. But watch this now. Watch this. It means to await. Receiving means to accept, allow, and await. Now, what does await mean? With confidence and patience. say it with me with you know what Jesus knew if them sinners hang out with a savior for very long they ain't going to be sinners no more are y'all with me 
Now, now, we have somehow in America developed this mentality that we either, we're, we're, we're one extreme or the other. We are, we are here over here in our holy huddles and we won't let nobody in and we won't go out. And if we do go out, we got a big Bible hammer to smack people over the head with. Or we're over here, or we're over here, and we just allow anything, do anything, let's just be all whatever, and just let God's understanding of everything. No, 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 no. God never compromised who he was to reach who he was after. Are y'all with me? But he never expected sinners to be saints before they became saints. There's way too many people trying to clean fish before they catch them. Hello? Y'all awake out there? And they, they could not stand it. They could not stand that he's supposed to be the Messiah. He claims to be the son of God. He is saying who he is. And he's, matter of fact, I'm going to just tell you this right now. You can go back and look and research it all you want to. Look it up from the beginning to the end. But in the gospels, the harshest words Jesus ever used was always toward religious people. And the kindest words he ever used was those two sinners. Sinners. I think we need to learn his example. Now watch. Now watch. Now watch. We got two examples. Matthew and Zacchaeus. I don't have time to go to those chapters, but I would encourage you to go read about this. Matthew... Matthew is in Matthew 9, I think 9 and 10. He just shows up. He just shows up. And, and you know what he tells Matthew? Matthew is there. He's hated. Now, there's probably there at Capernaum. He's probably heard about Jesus. He's probably heard Jesus. He's probably in his heart longing to be loved, longing to be cared about. But he had done he had done took the step of being a, a tax collector. So he knows he is an outcast to everybody around him. And so here comes Jesus. Can you, can you imagine the excitement that's welling up in him as he is seeing this one that he's heard so much about? Maybe he's even sat in on a sermon once or twice and, and thought, man, I love this guy. This guy is amazing. And Jesus comes by his way. And this is what he says at Matthew. Hey, if you'll get your act right, I'll let you follow me. Is that what he said? That ain't even close to what he said. He just said, hey, man, follow me. Follow me. And you know what he did? The Bible says he left everything. He walked away. Now, keep in mind now, Matthew's a wealthy guy. And by walking away from this booth, by walking away from being a tax collector, he was walking away forever. He, there was probably not one single disciple that lost as much financially than, than Matthew did, but he walked away joyfully. You know why? Because Jesus didn't treat him like a sinner. He said, follow me. Follow me. I look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was hated. Oh, my soul was Zacchaeus hated. You know, a little short dude climbed a tree. Y'all know that story? He was not just a tax collector. He was a chief of tax collectors. Very wealthy. Very wealthy because he had stole so much money from the Jewish people. I mean, if there was one hated, it was this little guy. And he climbs a tree. Jesus comes by. He doesn't, he doesn't explain how bad he is. He doesn't ridicule him for all the money he stole. He doesn't look at Zacchaeus with disdain. This is what he says. This is what, this is what he says. He said, Zacchaeus, now you're going to have to come down from there because I'm hanging out with you today. That's the Alabama version. That's what he said. He just said, hey, man, you need to come on down because today I'm staying with you. I'm going to hang out with you today. I'm coming to your house today. Son, that little scoundrel come out of that tree so fast, you'd have thought it was a squirrel shot out of a cannon. 
went to his house, put on a feast. You know what he said? He said, I tell you what. Today, my life has changed. I'm going to give back fourfold of everything I took. You know why? Because Jesus received him. He received him. He allowed. He accepted. And he awaited. Anyway, I'll come back to that. His way was attractive. His way was attractive. He received, I don't know why y'all flipping. I'm still on the same page. I hear you flipping. I know you ain't got any more slots to fill, but we're still on page one. His way. We talked about receive, but then it says he eateth with them. He took the time. That's a key. That's what I'm getting at with that. He took the time to be with them. Now, I know, bless God, we believe in separation. I believe in separation, too. But God never called us to isolation. There's a difference between separation and isolation. Now, let me show you. Let me show you. John 17, 15. Look what it says. Now, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's fixing to leave this world. Now, now watch what it says. Let's all read John, John chapter 17, verse 15. It's right there in your notes. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. He said, don't take them out of the world. Why would you think Jesus would say, or he would pray that prayer? Because if he took us completely out of the world, how would the world be reached? You are the what of the earth? Salt. Do you know salt only works if it makes contact? Contact. Y'all with me? Man, we having fun tonight, ain't we? Watch this now. John 17, 15, John 17, 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, John 17, 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Not only did Jesus say to the father, don't take them out of the world. He looks at you and says, now I'm sending you into the world. That makes sense? What does that mean? If our only friends are saved people, that's wrong. And that's bad. And more specifically, it's nothing like Jesus. It's nothing like Jesus. Where you find Jesus, you find sinners. Where you find Jesus, you find publicans. Where you find Jesus, you find brokenness. Where you find Jesus, you find people with problems and issues. Why? I came to seek and to save that which was the the whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Amen. Amen. Listen, his way was attractive. You know, it's a significant thing. It's a significant thing that Jesus attracted sinners while the Pharisees repelled them. It is a significant thing that Jesus attracted sinners while the Pharisees repelled them. I wonder what this says about some of our churches today. Lost sinners came to Jesus. Not because he catered to them or compromised his message. Read it with me. But because he... Say it again. But because he... He understood their needs and he tried to help them. While the Pharisees criticized them and kept their distance, the Pharisees had a knowledge of the Old Testament law and a desire for personal purity, but yet they had no love for lost souls. I am so afraid that a great many churches in America today are the same way. 
You know what? <clears throat> you know what I've learned? You know what I've learned? Uh, I've learned that there will be people that I disagree with completely and they disagree with me with completely and, 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 and hate what I stand for, but they like me because they know I care about them. They hate what I stand for. They hate what I believe. But they like me because they know I care about them. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. That's why I get so frustrated with people all the time who argue on social media with people who are a different persuasion, who are a different lifestyle or whatever, and they get in this argument, and the first thing they go do is punching in everything they know, every verse they know that it's against whatever lifestyle they're living. They don't care about that. They probably already know the verse before you punched it in. But you know what they do know? Or do they, this is what they feel. Whether they know it or not, this is what they feel. They feel like you don't, care and and when I feel like somebody don't care I don't care what you have to say I'm done and so are you amen and by the way you can't fake that y'all notice that you can't fake it that's like when your spouse apologizes to you Fake. You know. You hear I'm sorry through gritted teeth. You know. Why y'all look all shocked? Don't act like that ain't never happened to you. I love you. Oh, really? Tell your face, amen. Let tone of voice. You know, we, we, we throw that phrase around. Hate the sin and love the sinner. But I'm afraid it's just drifted a little too much to the point that we hate the sinner too. But Jesus didn't. He didn't. He wasn't worried about being contaminated by him. He cared about him. And I'm going to tell you this. People know when you love them or not. Because it comes out in the way you say what you say. It comes out in the way you do what you do. Are y'all with me? We can't be isolated. <clears throat> Number three, ain't we having fun? We see his accusers, his accusers. What was number one? Let's rehearse real quick. Got nine minutes. Holy cow. Number one. Say it again. His audience, publicans and sinners. Number two. Say it again. His attraction. His word was very attractive. His way, the way he treated people was very attractive. It drew people to him. They knew he cared about them. They knew, they knew he loved them. Then we see his accusers. Two things real quick. Let me write it down because I really want to get number four. They were self-righteous. They were self-righteous. It says in Romans 10, 2, Paul describes this group of people. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They're religious to the core. I mean, they are, and they are excited about it. They are happy about all the rules they keep. And they don't mind telling you how holy they are. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Going about, here's the key, going about to establish their... Their own, what does that mean? They're ignorant of God's righteousness. They go about to establish their own righteousness. In other words, they had their own set of rules. 
They had their own set of do's and don'ts. And, and, and God says, this is, this is what I require from you. This is what I want. But then they said, yeah, we got this over here. And they were so caught up in their own traditions that they had made and their own rules and regulations that they had made that according to scripture, Jesus said, you've made the word of God, that which God gave, you've made the word of God of none effect by your tradition, by this religion that you have created, this set of righteousness, this, this set of uh, rules and regulations that you had that you made up. And then you look down your nose on everybody that doesn't follow what you have made up on your own. Are y'all with me? Say amen. They were self-righteous. They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What is the definition of self-righteous? Read it with me. Convinced of one's own righteousness, especially in contrast with the actions and beliefs of others. Convinced of one's own righteousness, especially when you compare. And by the way, self-righteous people do that all the time. They're constantly comparing themselves with somebody else, but they never compare themselves with somebody who might be better than them. Watch this. Watch this. Here's an example. Luke 18, 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a, and the other a, that's the two groups we've been talking about, right? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, watch this now, or even as the, and he points the man out, even as this, in other words, I'm so glad I'm not a sinner like this one. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. A self-righteous person loves to talk about themselves. They love comparing themselves to others. The only problem with that is, is you're not going to be compared to others. You're going to be compared to Christ. And compared to Christ, your righteousness are as filthy rags. Mm, That's a whole nother sermon. Watch this publican. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much of his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Boy, that's a huge contrast, isn't it? The self-righteous man is too busy looking at others. And all the sinner can do is look at himself. I tell you, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking too, by the way. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be what? Exalted. Exalted. Matthew 5, 20, Jesus said this about the self-righteous Pharisee. For I say unto you that except your righteousness, it shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, if you don't have something better than what they got, you ain't getting in. They were not only self-righteous, they were superficial. Write that word down, superficial. Oh, we got hurry. Help me read the definition. Superficial. Presenting only an appearance without substance or significance. Mercy. Didn't the Bible, didn't the Bible say something about in the last days, there's going to be people that have a form of godliness, right? I I poured a little concrete slab out behind the house and I had to put up a form. Now, now brother McKelvey, can you grill on that form? You got to have some substance, don't you? And that's what he's describing. They have a form. They got an outward look. But there's no substance. There's no substance. Look, look. Here, here, here's the way Jesus described them. Matthew 23, 27. Woe unto you, scribes and... What did he call them? Hypocrite. For ye are like white sepulchers. That means, that means the tombs. A sepulcher is a tomb. Whitewashed, clean, beautiful on the outside. Which indeed appear beautiful outward. Say it with me. Beautiful... 
outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Watch now. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. There's a lot of self-righteous people who are in holy huddles who disdain sinners and don't want to be around them and don't want them around them. And you know what God's saying? You just look good on the surface. Because you're self-righteous and you're superficial. In other words, they ain't nothing to you. They were pitiful. Watch his answer. They don't like it that he's hanging out with sinners. Verse 2. The Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They didn't like it. They didn't think that was what was supposed to be done. They didn't like the fact that Jesus spent time with broken people. The outcasts, the wicked, the sinners, the traitors. And he tells them three parables. We don't have time to go into great detail about all of them, but I can get to the point. His answer, first of all, write this down. I want you to see the parables that he mentioned. The parables that he mentioned. There's three different parables. One was lost sheep, right? There was a lost sheep. Then there was a lost silver coin. And then there were some lost sons. Now, I'm not going to go into detail. There was only one lost son. No, no, no. They were both lost. One was lost in a far country. The other lost and stayed home. They were both out of fellowship with the father. But one thought he was better than the other. Woo, that's a whole sermon. We ain't got but one minute. But we see these parables. The lost sheep. The lost silver, the lost son, the prodigal, by the way, if you're not, if, I know we didn't read it, but I hope you're familiar enough with the story of what happened. Yeah. Here's the point that's made. Here's the point that's made. Really, I took a whole hour to get to this point right here. This is what I want you to know. All right. We have Jesus hanging out with outcasts. We have a group of people that don't like it. Okay. Is it, isn't that basically what we're reading? We got Jesus spending his time with people who were despised, despised. Now, remember what I told you? Remember what I told you in the beginning of this thing? I want you to get in your head who you think's despised right now. What type of sinner is despised by religious people right now? That's who Jesus is hanging out with. And they don't like it. And so Jesus has a response for them. He tells these three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, here is the point, and this will wrap it all up right here. We'll wrap it all up right here. Here's the point of those parables. Here's the point of his rebuttal to their murmuring. If everybody's with me, say amen. amen. First of all, first of all, look at, look what it says at the bottom of that page. There's a need for looking. Why? Why is there a need for looking? Because something is lost. In all three of these parables, something is lost. Something is lost. Something is lost. So it needs to be found. It needs to be found. If there is something lost, then it needs to be found. If there is something or someone lost, we need to start looking for them. What did the shepherd do? As soon as the shepherd realized that there was a sheep lost, there was a sheep mission, he left everything. It became priority. It became number one. It became the most important thing. And I love the way this says, the Bible says he looked for it until he found it. He didn't quit halfway. He didn't quit with just a little bit. He kept on looking. He kept on searching. He kept on hunting. He kept on calling till he found what he was looking for. And in order to look for something, this is a whole nother outline that we can put together. But in order to look for something, you got to leave something. 
We're not going to find a whole lot of publicans and sinners in here, y'all. We're going to have to leave our holy huddle and go out into this broken world and look for people who are lost. The point of these parables is Jesus is saying there is something lost and there needs to be somebody who cares enough, somebody who loves enough, somebody who will be like Jesus enough to go out and look for who is lost. There needs to be a looking. Not only does there need to be a looking, but then number two, there is joy in the finding. This is the biggest point, really. Over and over and over. What did the, what did the shepherd do? What did the she- and by the way, if you want to outline, here's a cool outline. He left, he looked, and then he laid. He laid that sheep on his shoulders. He carried the burden. He didn't say, hey, get back to the house. He carried it. He made sure it got where it needed to go. But that's not the point. Just put that somewhere. We can preach that at a later date. Amen. Amen. You know what that means? You need to follow up. Don't just say, hey, the house is that way. Don't just win into Christ. Follow up with them until they get to be a a seasoned saint. Carry them on your shoulders if you need to. Bear the burden. Anyway, we're in in the red. (laughs) The Bible says as soon as that shepherd found his sheep, he rejoiced. He said, woohoo! He called everybody. Hey, come rejoice with me. Our sheep was lost, but now it's found. That woman's son, she, I'm telling you what, she lit that candle. She started sweeping that house until she found that coin. When she found that coin, she called everybody and said, rejoice with me. We found it. You know what Jesus is trying to say? Somebody needs to get to looking. And when you do find somebody, there is great joy in the finding. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how much joy there is when you sit there and pray with somebody and they trust Christ. There's nothing like it. We're not experiencing that joy because we're not looking. I don't know if you realize this or not in Coleman County, but you don't have to look far. I need a witness. Now, here's the most important point. Here's the most important point. What was the first point? Say it again. Say it again. Can y'all see that point? In them three parables, there's a need for looking. Number two, there is. There's joy in finding. But watch this now. This is the most important part. What point is Jesus trying to make? The value that God has placed on a soul. The value that God has placed on a soul. Everybody look at me. Don't, don't fold nothing up. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Because I, I, well, I don't have that. I'm out. <laughs> but that sheep was so valuable. He went and looked till he found it. That coin was so valuable. She stopped everything. It became priority. That son was so valuable that he was looking every day. And when he saw him a great way off. and, And you know, Really to understand that in the culture of that day, according to Deuteronomy, a rebellious son, you know what they did to rebellious sons? They stoned them. You know what that father knew? That if one of the city people or the villagers saw him before he got to him, they would stone him. Because of the shame he brought On the family. So the father. Son I want to preach right now. On that spot right there. Ran to him. And the Bible says he fell on him. 
Now, what is he doing? Now, get that in your head. Get that in your head. He fell on him. Why? In case a rock started flying, he's going to protect his boy. You know why? He's valuable. Let me ask you a question. Is that lost family member you have valuable? Is that lost loved one valuable? Is that lost friend valuable? Is that lost neighbor valuable? They may not be to you, but they are to him. So let's do this. Let's make it a priority. Say that word with me. Let's make it a to have somebody sitting with us this Sunday. I don't know anybody. Well, look. That woman didn't just say, well, I don't know where the coin is. Oh, well. No, she got that broom out, honey. She lit that candle and said, let's get it. I don't know where the sheep is. You ain't going to find it unless you leave. You got to leave the comfort zone. 